Hello, everyone. This is Carlos Garrido, and I'm here with my partner, Eddie Smith. And welcome to our second podcast, podcast number two. Um, Eddie, I, th I think you had a question that you wanted to ask me that uh, was going to put everything into perspective. Yeah. I mean, basically, the, the number one question every philosopher has um, and have been unable to answer for years other than, of course, uh, Jeb Bush. Um, but you develop a time machine um, and you have the ability to go back in time to the day that Hitler was born. Would you kill baby Hitler? I would not. I would not. I'm very Kantian when it comes to that. Uh, I would take a deontological approach and and just consider that killing babies is wrong. There's probably something else you could do. Maybe stick by the baby and make sure he doesn't end up as as Hitler. <laughs> that would probably be a better better bet than just killing a baby. What about you? You kill the baby? Well, now I'm thinking you could create some kind of alternate timeline where you create communist Germany. So if you follow by Hitler um, and you make sure you're like reading in Marx um, and all this stuff as he's growing, you could use his charisma or whatever to capture the the post-world war one economic you know um, turbulence that was going on in germany and you could bring people to socialism then look we've got the ussr china and communist germany like who knows how that alternate timeline would have played out yeah yeah definitely there's a <laughs> lot many more there there's there's so many more things you could do than just kill baby hitler <laughs> you got to be more creative than that. Yeah. Come on, Jeb. So, so next we wanted to talk about something a, a little more serious. Um, the just a little uh, bit. This is Tad. Um, we're going to talk about the rise of violent fascism in our country. Um, so nice transition there. Um, so uh, Bolivian journalist Ali Vargas was at the Capitol riots and he noticed that there were Fulan Gong cultists from China who are an anti-communist, anti-Xi Jinping, anti-Chinese or Chinese Communist Party, um, hyper-political religious group who literally believe that Trump has been sent by God to destroy Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, there were Cuban gusanos, obviously white Miami Cubans who you know, a lot of them, their families were the plantation owners who were benefiting from the Fojicio Batista kind of unregulated pro-Western dictatorship and had their land seized by the Cuban revolution. Um, uh, elements of, of that were there and also uh, Iranian monarchists. So Iranians who support the Shah, which when it comes to the monarchists and the, the Fulan Gong, these, they wouldn't even really have any kind of legitimacy if it wasn't for the U.S. backing and the CIA backing. Like their their ideas are just pro-Western, right? Um, you know, based the Fulan Gong in China and the Iranian monarchists really have no plan or no idea for their country other than we're just going to hand everything over to the West. So these these parties wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for um, the U.S. And then you know there were two tweets going around from people within the political establishment, like. It's so sad to see, you know, Chinese defectors and it's so sad to see Venezuelan opposition party people support Trump and support the capital riots. It's like, well, who do you think these people are? You know, these are far right goons. The Venezuelan opposition party has tried to kill Trump multiple times. I'm sorry, have tried to kill Maduro multiple times. Like you don't think they're going to support something like the capital riots. Um, and now you see, you know, Pelosi and other 
other members of the establishment trying to blame the capital riots on Russia, you know, on foreign interference, trying to push off the blame. And it's like, no, this is, you know, the white supremacists in the U.S. and, and the disaffected people who are ready to storm the capital, as well as these far right wing elements from other countries, um, are bred by the U.S. You know, we've created this situation in which, you know, when we have an election, people storm the Capitol and, and try and, you know, and, and start fires and there's violence um, and there's unrest because our country um, is extremely broken. And we've been we've been sponsoring and emboldening these far right, literally fascistic elements in our country for a long time now. And now that's, you know, manifesting itself as violence. Yeah, I, um, I definitely think there's like two different circles of two different spheres of Trump supporters. There's like that element is definitely more aligned with uh, the right wing pseudo fascist part of Trump. And then there's the populist side of Trump, which um, was the one that caught the, the sectors that would have historically gone with the Democratic Party, which were the, the working class sectors and stuff. Um, I think these sectors were disen um, disenchanted this time around, a lot of them, if we see some of the statistics of where Trump won, it was people who made a little bit, the, the, the people that were in the highest income classes of those um, districts that were primarily voting for him. Um, so, I mean, how we, what, what we conclude from that, I don't know. That doesn't mean that necessarily that it was working class people and, and lumping elements that didn't vote for him um, or that voted for him less this time around, but, um, they, Shishak released a, an interesting article, I believe today or yesterday on RT that was talking about Trump's betrayal to, to populism. And even if it's right-wing populism, uh, yeah, we have uh, a lot of the, the Trump followers now that are calling him basically a phony and a traitor um, and, and a part of the swamp that he said that he was gonna drain. Um, and it is our role now to go to these circles and get that energy that led at least some sectors of the working class to follow a billionaire <laughs> to the point of storming the Capitol building and try to organize those sectors. Um, that's, that's been something the left has been quite bad at. I think it was actually better at doing it in 2016 with the first time uh, Bernie ran, or ran than, than in 2020. But um, yeah, we, we can't forget where the Trump phenomenon comes from, because if we do, then we fail to do the reflective act that we have to do um, in order to realize what we can do better to address these, um, these sectors of the working class that end up falling for right-wing populism. Yeah, yeah, we need a strong socialist movement to fight this because people, you know, 78% of American workers live paycheck to paycheck, and then that makes people susceptible to right-wing populism if there's no left-wing populist movement reaching the workers. And then as I covered this week, the Fulan Gong and, um, has a propaganda arm called Epic Times and they put spent $1.5 billion on social media advertising, one, boosting Trump and two, boosting QAnon um, and as well as anti-China conspiracy theories. Um, so this is the kind of groups our government's backing. And once again, we see our government sort of backing fascists um, and that's, you know, look at how World War II developed. The centrists and, and the ruling class are always going to choose, you know, fascism over socialism. Um, so what's the answer to that? The answer is to build a strong enough socialist movement to, to reach people and to, and to pull them out of these, out of these, you know, 
these online traps, you know, people kind of call it the alt-right pipeline where you, where you sort of fall down these rabbit holes and you have that. And then you just have the regular Trump worker who thinks the Capitol riots were, you know, nonsense and destructive and doesn't support them at all. But they voted for Trump because he said he's going to end the wars and bring manufacturing back to the U.S. You know, those are the other, the other people we got to reach, you know, and, and those are the people who are available, you know, I, I guess the kind of far right fascist elements who stormed the Capitol doesn't represent the majority of America. And I was looking at someone was doing a class analysis of it. And they were finding that most of the people who stormed the Capitol were either like unemployed or they were petty, petty bourgeois. So, you know, it's not the working class who's engaging in these things. Um, and now that Trump's gone, you know, most Americans, especially working class Americans, are fairly apolitical. You know, it's time to build a movement um, in the next four years that's able to reach these people and, and give them a message for something better and something constructive. You know, people are tired of the destruction. And, you know, obviously we, we don't conflate BLM with the Capitol riots or think, you know, they're fighting for the same thing. But but people, you know, I think we're a little bit alienated by the rioting. And, and obviously there's more right you know, black people have a lot more, uh, uh, the BLM movement has much more reason to riot than these far right fascists. But I don't know, we need to start reaching to people with a message of construction rather than, than destruction. I think the met, the feeling I've been getting from living in the Midwest is people are just kind of tired of all the destabilization. Um, so yeah, that's what I think our message should be going forward here. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the things you mentioned there was the ability to, um, to um, the propagandizing of Trump by by this uh, anti-China elements, um, and the promoting of the QAnon and all those conspiracy theories, and it reminded me of uh, a work of Althusser, where he, I think the work is called uh, "Philosophy as a Revolutionary Weapon," where, uh, in a very Lenin-inspired way, he's talking about philosophy as the medium by which we're able to distinguish the true from false ideas. And, and that always when we're able to do that, when we distinguish what the true idea is, truth is always in the side of the proletarian interest. Um, so I think that not to say that we have to, I mean, become philosophers or anything like that, but the process of critical thinking and trying to distinguish the what's the bullshit from the not bullshit is always a process that when successful, it ends up benefiting um, the elements of, of the working class. And when it's not, when we're able to, when we leave this junk just spread around, um, all it does is bring damage to any um, working class and poor and lumpen elements, um, as, as we saw in the, in the Capitol riots, they end up falling for false idols, following them, and um, it doesn't benefit their interests in any way possible. Hmm. Exactly. I like that. Um, I think that's probably, you know, enough about the capital riots. Um, but let's move on here to, to what you wanted to talk about um, with Lenin and our, and we're going to try and do maybe a section every podcast talking about um, like relevant politics or geopolitics like we just did. And then we're going to talk about some philosophy, um, which is more Carlos's specialty. So we're going to discuss Lenin today and I'll just let you take it, take it from there, Carlos. Um, yeah, I'm not so sure that it's, it's too philosophic of a, of a topic, it, it really isn't. It's just a, like a, a, a guidance thing, basically. But this comes from a, a lecture that Lenin gives to uh, the Young Communist League in, in, in Russia. And what he's doing 
is giving them the means by which they should begin um, working towards the building of socialism. Um, and I think it's quite pertinent today because, I mean, if Twitter is a representation of the left, um, a lot of the things that Lenin is mentioning that communists have to do is something that the left is, is utterly failing at doing in the US. Um, so uh, one of the things we see from the Twitter left is a constant just sloganizing, just bringing up communist slogans and slogans and slogans. And um, there's a lack of, uh, of, of knowledge for, for history, for theory. And what we have to do is realize that we're not gonna, we're not gonna be successful communists by just reading communist literature. We have to expand ourselves because when we engage in arguments with, um, with different uh, proponents of different ideologues, um, if we know their arguments beforehand, we're going to be a lot more successful in debating it. Um, and I think there's a lot of failures when it comes to that because just people don't know. So um, Lenin says here that you can become a communist only when you enrich your mind with the knowledge of all the treasures created by mankind. And that's another thing that um, we have a left that sees the socialist project not in terms of growth. And I don't just mean economic growth because there's Malthusian elements to it that want to um, limit growth and, and try to have this sort of ascetic socialism where you're limiting bodily pleasures and stuff like that for the planet, right? Um, but that gets translated to a lack of personal growth as well. Um, and, and Marx always saw that the growth that happens in the different epochs of society is also reflected in the, in the, in the individuals. They're also growing along with the society. Um, if you want to think about it in, in terms of Hegel, it's a process of constant um, becoming a little bit more and more conscious of, of yourself. Um, this, I'm sorry, there was someone knocking on the door, but this, this process of growth is ignored. And if we if we continue where we're going without engaging with all of the rich stuff that has come from the past, all of the stuff that humanity has been able to create and, and all of the stuff that has helped humanity progress, um, we're not gonna be able to build communism. We're not gonna be able to grow and become these, uh, this highest level, this basically ubermensch of a human um, that, that the communist society requires of us to become. Um, so, yeah, and Lenin in this in this lecture is is mentioning that that we have to not just engage with communist literature. We have to read the best stuff from the previous epochs and read it in a way that is not disconnected from reality, but read it in a way in which we can look back at reality and see well how can we apply this in practice, right? Um, we don't just want the academic process to be something where we just shove information into our heads but we want the information into our heads that's gonna help us in the future and in practice, um, which means that not only do we have to read the best stuff that has been made, but we also have to be aware on how to do even the most elementary things um, in society. Like we need to learn how to fix a toilet and do like all of these regular tasks, but be able to be, um, even if you're a working class person in society to be able to run the government to know the most elementary and the most complex. Um, and those are things that I think are, are, are missing from the left today. Um, 
as soon as you bring up something from a, a different epoch that represents maybe a different class position, they just call you out for it immediately without realizing that you can also learn something from that and you can learn in, in critiquing it as well. But yeah. Yeah, it reminds me the whole, your uh, whole uh, little uh, talk there reminds me of that Aristotle quote, um, the something like the sign of a trained mind or a smart person or whatever is to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. So it's like one of the things I do is I read the Wall Street Journal and CNN and MSNBC and Fox News every day. Obviously, I don't agree with them, but one, I want to know what my enemy's saying, and two, you know, there are facts hidden behind the veil of nonsense if you have the media literacy and the background knowledge and the theoretical knowledge of political economy to know what they're saying is, you know, what parts of what they're saying are true and what parts are biased and then, and then what narrative overall are they trying to pitch, you know, and if you're, um, and it's important to read all of that. Uh, and then, yeah, I just liked what you were saying about kind of becoming, it's like Che's idea sort of of becoming the new man, you know, a lot of the socialist people who would go talk to, to Che, you know, a lot of the people in the Soviet Union would be like, Che wants to skip socialism and go right to communism, right? He's saying the Cuban people should be a new kind of person, um, you know, um, defeat individualism and embrace um, collectivism. And there's none of that on the modern left. You know, I got attacked for saying that leftists should work out. I'm like, capitalism wants you to be fat. You know, it used to be a sign of affluence to be fat because there wasn't enough food, but now we have all this food and they're just trying to sell you sugar and, and you know, stuff that's terrible for your body and terrible for your brain. And you finish an eight hour to, you know, 12 hour day at work and you're driving by McDonald's and you want to grab it. So part of defeating capitalism is to tell yourself, no, I'm going to go home and eat a salad and lift some weights, you know, um, and, and not that everybody has to do that, but it's, you know, it's something that's myth missing. We, we always talk about how like those capitalist meme pages are like, you got to grind to get this much money, right? You got to wake up early and work hard and dedicate yourself to making money. And socialists will see that and they'll critique it. They'll be like, this is stupid. This is capitalism. But think about the ethic behind that, right? The ethic is human. The, the distortion of that is capitalism, which takes it and says, you should try your hardest and strive your hardest to make money, to exploit others, to expand your capital, you know, through violence. Whereas, you know, that is garbage, but the ethic is not so bad. You know, I'm going to wake up every day and fight for socialism. I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to enrich my mind um, by choosing to read instead of, you know, whatever else, watch reality televi television or all the distractions that, that consumerism gives to us. So um, that's missing too. And, and then just the, uh, like having knowledge of the economy, like you said, there's nobody in the socialist movement who could really run an industry right now. And if you read the Cuban revolution, like there's tons of stuff they had to do after they took power, right? They had to assign all these people to these industries and you have to work with global capitalists and you have to know what the global capitalists are thinking or your socialist experiment's gonna get crushed. Um, and obviously we're not anywhere near being able to even think about stuff like that, but, but in a way we need to, right? We need to be thinking about how we're gonna go into these major industries and, and what is the plan for them? What do we actually wanna do with them? Um, how are we gonna pitch workers on the future that we actually are trying to build here? Yeah, and I, th I think that process of building the, the what Che would call the new man, um, it's it's quite an Aristotelian process. It's a process of developing virtue, 
um, and, and developing virtue in all arenas. Like you said, working out to maintain your body healthy, eating good, uh, reading, enriching your mind. All of these things are so important. And we have what seems to be, um, if the left is at all representative, if the Twitter left is at all representative of the actual left, um, we, we have what seems to be an anti-virtue left, like it fetishizes um, loser elements because it's, it just reacts. It's a resentment left that sees these values that capitalists are promoting of grandeur, of perseverance, of this and that for the wrong reasons, right? As you said, but it automatically, automatically reacts and says no, when it, it's unable to see that there's a kernel in that that's true, that we should persevere and have goals and, and, and struggle and have this sense of discipline and this project that we have our life dedicated to. Um, the difference is that as communists, we should have this project also in connection to the class struggle and to the building of, of socialism. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, it comes again from, from a lack of, of what we call the left being inside working class circles and working with, with, with people. Um, and, and what you realize is that if, if our left right now did what Lenin would have wanted, like, vanguardists to do, which is go to working class or go to where the masses are. We wouldn't be able to work as a vanguard because we're so like, like we, we miss the complete ethos, the spirit that you need in order to have people follow you, right? So even if we go to these working class circles, we don't have the character to have the, the virtue elements that allow for the people around you to follow you. So we also have to, do a process of character reflection and, and realize that to some extent, we are going to have to clean our room before we, we go out into the world, right? Um, we are going to have to improve ourselves in order for us to then be that beacon of light for the working class when we go into those circles and have them be able to trust us and follow us. If we are, you know, um, not virtuous, if we're eating all of this bad food and just uh, not the most professional looking folks, who's going to follow us? You think working class people who have this sort of traditional morality are going to follow us and say, this is, if this person is a representative of socialism, um, is this what I want? <laughs> no, we have to look presentable. We have to try to be as virtuous as we can and improve ourselves as much as we can so that all others can follow our project. If we're shitty people, others are not going to follow us which is something else that a lot of the stuff that you see on Twitter is people just saying the meanest shit. Um, <laughs> right. Saying absolute no. disgusting things to other people. Yeah. Not treating people with any, any respect, you know, when the whole idea of the ideology is humanism, you know, at the base is like, we're trying to create the best world for humans. And then you're on Twitter calling other members of the left, telling them nobody likes them or whatever. And you know, everybody's, I saw a bunch of New Year's resolutions from, from leftists who I like saying, you know, oh, if you think anything's going to get better in 2021, you're an idiot. Like, why is that your mindset? Our project is one, inherently optimistic, because we're trying to move forward and build a better world. And two, we're trying to be, like you said, the vanguard. We're trying to show people um, that that we can be better, you know, that we can transcend capitalism. Um, and, and it's not that we're saying, you know, that like depression doesn't exist or that these struggles don't exist and that they aren't enhanced by capitalism. Of course they are, but you're going to feel better if you, you know, talk to someone about it and you, and you keep a positive mindset and you do things to, to improve yourself and to try and overcome 
overcome these things, you know, these, these mental issues or these things that drag you down, things like depression. What's not going to make you feel better is spending five to eight hours a day on Twitter, you know, being mean to people, it's going to create a negative cycle. You know, your brain works at like feedback loops, the more positive stuff you put in, the better you're going to feel, you know, that's why reading makes you feel better. Um, I like what you mentioned there of the, the pessimistic left. And if we're, we're talking about philosophy, it's a, a Schopenhauerian left. Um, that's, uh, it, it seems like a paradox because socialism, as you, as you said, if one calls himself a socialist, you need to be optimistic. You're optimistic about building a whole new society um, out of the, the, the birthmarks of the old and creating this new man and, and stuff. Um, so it, it just reminded me, I, I wrote something down, a, fun, a funny quote that I, I think is from Shishak. I don't remember who it's from. It's, um, the king is dead, long live the king. And that's, <laughs> that's the basic dynamic of the pessimistic socialists. You're positioning yourself in an ideology that's necessarily optimistic and then saying the complete opposite of that, <laughs> that nothing's going to happen. So why be a socialist? Just be a nihilist. Just do nothing. Um, so uh, this is something we have to reflect on. We have to get rid of these pessimistic uh, impulses because, I mean, even just practically, um, if you think nothing's going to happen, um, how, how is it going to work out in your everyday life of trying to make something happen? right? You need to know that something is possible in order for one to strive to do it. And I think that's one of the, one of the famous phrases from uh, the preface of the contributions to the critique of political economy, which is where the base and superstructure thing comes from in Marx. He says something along the lines of humanity doesn't put itself a task that it cannot fulfill. And if we are putting ourselves the task of socialism, it's always possible. It's oh, as long as capitalism is the global order, socialism is always a possibility. So these pessimistic elements are just absurd and we have to get rid of them. And again, it's just a, a complete character change that we need, to, we need to make. And that doesn't mean that we're putting the baggage on people, right? Um, people are a results of, of their environment. And this is the environment that capitalism has created um, for the youth. Uh, the, the left that we see on Twitter is a reflection of the left that capitalism has, has allowed to exist. Mm -hmm. And if people, we know that people are a reflection of their environment. So what kind of environment are we creating here on the left? Is it one that encourages people to read and better themselves? Or is it one that's entirely pessimistic? And, and you're seeing the rise of postmodernism and post-leftism too in, in, in you know, we've talked a lot about that, how their whole narrative seems to be pessimistic, like we'll never escape capital. Like, What is even the point of thinking that way, <laughs> you know, and, and it's the kind of, um, you know, if you look at, not to keep going back to the Cuban revolution, but they had 22 people when they started, right? And obviously Cuba's an island, we're not going to be able to do what Cuba did and have a guerrilla war. But they were optimistic, you know, they what Che said when asked why he chose to follow Fidel, he said Fidel um, was the one who was ready to stop whining and fight. So there was a communist party in Cuba at the time, and they were pretty powerful, but they kept they were orthodox Marxists. They're like, no, we need to in, uh, develop industrially before we can have a socialist revolution. It needs to follow this process of ABC. And Chase said, no, let's quit whining and fight a guerrilla war. <laughs> they took over the country and turned it um turned it communist. And then the Soviet um, people who were coming over to Cuba at the time uh, to start building relations, 
Uh, Chase said, we proved Marx wrong. He said, Marx thought it was going to, we were going to industrialize and then turn to socialism and the, the Western countries were going to do it first. And the Russians, the Soviet Union ambassadors said, no, you didn't prove Marx wrong. You proved the Cuban communists wrong because Marxism doesn't go by this step-by-step -step process, you know, A, B, C, D. Marxism recognizes that history is in constant motion and at times, you know, it goes way forward, at times it goes back um, and things don't develop in a straight line. Um, so, so the Russians tell him you proved your own communists wrong. You didn't prove Marxism wrong. And yeah. I don't know necessarily I where I was going with that, but if you're optimistic and we need to be optimistic and ready to adapt, I guess, to our material conditions is the point of bringing that up. Yeah, I, I was going to say that's funny because uh, precisely the Russians and I think it was 70, it was in the 70s, 1870s. Um, there was that precise problem that, that Che thought he had proved wrong because of course Marx and the, in the manifesto, it talks about socialism coming about in industrialized nations and in other places as well. Um, so you have this one militant, this Russian militant, Vera Sasulich, who sends Marx a letter. And, and she's like, um, we have people here that are talking about Russia not being able to be socialist because we haven't industrialized. We haven't had our capitalist epoch. Um, and so we have Marxists that are promoting capitalism in order to then have the necessary stuff to have socialism. Um, is this correct? Because the peasantry seems to be ready for socialism. And Marx writes five drafts. <laughs> he writes five drafts. The first one's like 40 pages, then it's 25, then it's 30. And then the one he ends up sending is like four pages. And what he basically says is that my studies were specific to Europe. These epochs that I'm talking about are specific to Europe. Socialism, your peasantry has not, uh, it doesn't have the individualist spirit that develops in the ethos of capitalist countries. And thus, if you can have socialism, you don't have to pass through capitalism. So that's funny that, um, that you mentioned when, when the Soviets go to Cuba and they, they basically tell Che, no, it's, it's the Communist Party from Cuba that you're proving wrong, not Marx. Um, but yeah, overall, that, that spirit of, of being able to do something, of it's something um, is conceivable, it's possible, right? And we hear this, all the time through like capitalist propaganda. But um, I think it's a helpful mentality to think about, especially in, in relation to revolutionary struggle. Because without it, I mean, what's the point? If something's not possible, what's the point? And, and the overall Marxist project is precisely this. Like the, the bourgeois theorists uh, make capitalism uh, capital. They, they think that objectification, the work that one does to make something is capital. That's what the bourgeois theorists were doing, calling the structures that exist now as universal structures. They have always existed. And what happens when you're facing yourself against a system that has always existed, against a state that has always existed, against social relations that have always existed, that where's gonna, where's your inspiration going to come from if you're fighting against something that has, that's eternal? It's basically fighting against the God. So what Marx, Marx's project is saying not just, hey, Smith, Ricardo, say, Sismondi, you're wrong. But it's saying that your theories are a result of a specific epoch. It's not universal. It's very specific to our time. And because it's very specific, it's obvious that it's going to change in the future, just like feudalism changed and everything else before that. So uh, the left has forgotten this. And it's, it's treated, it, it's, has treated the, the universalization ethos of the bourgeois theorist uh, with, with capitalism too seriously. It has treated the Fukuyama 
statement of, of capitalism being the end of history way too seriously. And um, it has forgotten that we can have a new end of history, basically. Hmm. Nice. I like that. I think that might be a good place to leave off. That was a really good, uh, good tangent there. So thank you guys for watching. Um, leave any recommendations for videos you want to see in the comments. Um, and, and yeah, I've had some people asking me to do workout videos, given that we've been talking about becoming the new man. If I get enough requests, I'll, I'll start doing a short 30 to 50 minute workout videos. I saw uh, Dr. Asatar Bayar was doing uh, meditation videos. That's another great thing for your mental health. Uh, yeah. Pretty cool. Shout but out you to could him. do a, like a, a thing where we put like a, um, snippets of like Soviet workout lifting videos because um their methods were really successful they brought them to cuba and cuba would do really really good in the olympics um yeah <laughs> like a 12-time world champ from the soviet union right here <laughs> oh yeah 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 i saw I, we wrestled iowa state the other day and they had a cuban at 197 who was like about two feet taller than me and jacked <laughs> he, he, he was really built um yeah Wonder if he was on that Soviet lifting program. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think Cuba has developed their programs much since. I know in baseball, at least, they're they're pretty much teaching the same thing that they were uh, 40, 50 years ago. But I mean, it's working. Cubans are there's like 29 in the MLB. They make the they're the country with the fourth most players in the MLB, coming from a, a small island of what nine, ten, ten million people. So. Yeah. In wrestling, you got Anthony H. Media right now. He just came over. He's a jacked dude. They don't know how old he is. He's like a freshman in college, but everyone's like, that dude's like 27. <laughs> super, but he is a beast. Then you got Yoel Romero, too, obviously, in MMA. These Jack Cuban dudes. Uh, oh, who's the other? Uh, Yalis Bonnie Rodriguez is a, a representative of the Cuban wrestling team, who's like one of the most exciting wrestlers on the planet. Uh, Salas Perez is a, a bigger Cuban guy. So yeah, they're, they're putting out these amazing athletes despite being a tiny island. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's that virtue, that virtue principle, that development of the new man. One of the, this, basically the equivalent of our Pledge of Allegiance when we're growing up is Pioneros por el Comunismo seremos como Che. Pioneers for Communism strive to be like Che. And Che is, I mean, <laughs> we know who Che was, like his, his discipline was insane his attitude, his fortitude. Um, so yeah, that, that ethic of building the new man is still quite big in Cuba. It's probably dying out just because of the nature of the blockade and, and stuff. It, it gets to a point where stuff starts becoming redundant um, when you hear it all your life, right? But um, it's still definitely there around the circles that it should be in, working class circles in Cuba. And that it's, it's a little bit missing from academic circles, but um, but yeah, who knew? Who knew? Yeah, <laughs> it's my own kind. All right, right. <laughs> oh well, at least you're a bright spot in the dumpster fire that is academia. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see ya, everyone. Thanks for watching. See ya, everyone. Thank you.